back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with Terry O'Fallon. And Terry is a developmental theorist and practitioner and is the founder of Stages International along with Kim Barter. So we'll be exploring today Terry's work. She's done a lot of work refining our understanding of later stages of adult developmental maturity. So we'll be exploring two tiers in her work. There's three tiers of, of developmental maturity. We'll be exploring particularly the last two. So we'll explore this subtle tier today. That's where many of us and our clients are at. And what are some of the features of people who are at these stages? How do they think and see the world? And we'll explore this metaware tier, which is where Terry's done a lot of work refining our understanding of these stages. What are people like? What are they? Uh, how do they make meaning and see the world in these stages? What are some of the features? And in particular, we'll, we'll explore this transition between these subtle stages of development into these metaware stages. So it's a rich conversation. Just to say a few things about Terry. She's been teaching now for 51 years and her life's purpose has culminated in this work with the stages model. And I think you'll hear in our conversation, there's just a lot of nuance and specificity and beauty that she's brought to this model, which I really appreciated. So Let's dive in just in a moment, just to say you can find out more about us, coachesrising.com, by heading to that address. And if you want to join our mailing list and join this global community of transformational coaches, then you can just scroll down the homepage there and you'll find a sign-up box, put your name in there and you'll be in the loop. And let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Terry O'Fallon. It's good to be with you, Terry. Uh, How are you doing, first of all? I'm doing really well. It's just a delight to be here with you, Joel. There's yeah. always so much, many uh, interesting things we can talk about when we get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's been a while. It's been, we're way overdue this, I think. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about your model of psychological development or, or adult development. And um, uh, I think a good question to ask actually at the beginning is like, what is it called? And you know, you just said like every, there's, there's diff, different stages of development out there, different theories of development. And you said each one has their own, brings their own unique gifts to the table. I'm just curious what the stages model brings to the table. So. Well, uh, you know, um, one, of the, one of the real benefits, I think, of the stages model is that um, uh, we have... Um, actually put into the scoring method uh, approaches so that we're scoring actual perspectives. It's not just a a theory. We are scoring the perspectives themselves and getting the basis of this perspectives down into three fundamental areas. And because we know what those three fundamental areas are, and we've also, you know, done research to validate that, we can get to particulars in uh, the, the, like the leading edge, the core stage and the trailing edge by looking at these three fundamental characteristics of each stage of development. And uh, so that's, one of the areas that I think we specialize in and uh, it gets to be very exciting that way. Mm. And you said like we're scoring perspectives. What do you, what do you mean by that? As opposed to like, are there other models which are scoring differently? Well, uh, 
we, you know, we kind of have the philosophy that everything is a perspective, which is not our philosophy. You know, I think Ken has talked about that uh, as well. And so uh, Suzanne was, uh, Cook Reuter was very, very uh, insightful when she uh, recognized in her dissertation that, that uh, perspectives were a, a, a real part of the developmental stages, you know, and there's a first person, the second person, third person. And then she went on to say, there's a fourth person and a fifth person. So, so that was really insightful. I mean, it was a huge jump and she got a lot of recognition for that. The thing is, is that it wasn't really, uh, the measurement of those perspectives wasn't really put into the scoring procedure. And that's what stages did. And when we did that, we found that each perspective has three fundamental areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can just answer three questions and, and get to the perspective that people are taking uh, in the moment. So that's one of the areas that I think that we brought forward. It's, it's just, uh, you know, working with uh, a scoring system that can can be more granular yeah great i want to like come back to that idea of perspectives maybe a bit later because i think for people listening they they might get a sense of like what a first second third fourth fifth perspective is but might be useful for us to explicitly tease that out but maybe it's good first to just sketch out the stages model so that we've got, you know, like a foundation to then build our conversation on from. Uh, so what, how, how would you introduce it? You know, like uh, what, what, yeah, what building blocks do we need? Well, the building blocks are uh, very much um, uh, based on uh, Ken Wilbur's quadrants. And Ken supported me in, in developing a lot of this process. Uh, in other words, we look at individual and collective perspectives, and that's one of the building blocks. And then we look at the, uh, the level of development of the phenomena we're looking at. In other words, some phenomena is concrete, so we have four stages in the concrete tier. Some phenomena are subtle, so we have four stages in the subtle tier. Some phenomena are very subtle, so we have four stages in that tier, in that we call it the meta-aware tier. And then the third question is, uh, we all have a learning perspectives, ways that we, are, uh, that we uh, learn. And, uh, and uh, that's the diagonals that Ken has in his quadrants. So um, people learn either receptively, once they've received information, then they do something with it. So then they're active with it. Then they start sharing it with someone else. So then there's an intersubjectivity that goes with it. And last of all, they put it all together in an interpenetrative kind of process. And so each tier has that going on in each, each, each of the tiers and each of the four stages in the tiers. So just by answering those three questions, they're all kind of either or questions. And as long as you know the definition of uh, these areas, then you can can uh, actually get very close to knowing the developmental level of whatever it is you're looking at. We look at texts. Um, we, of course, have a test where we use a very sophisticated scoring process 
that is way more than just uh, matching terms uh, or matching categories and that sort of thing. Uh, but we use those three questions and, uh, and we also uh, teach people to have a whole body experience with it when they're scorers. Uh, uh, we have, uh, you know, like I say, it's, it's a very sophisticated process that's triangulated so that we aren't just uh, looking at our own subjectivity, but we have some very specific research-based processes that go into the scoring itself. So those three questions are those three fundamental areas. And, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful um, way when you delve deeply into it to, it sounds simple, okay, answer three questions and you'll know your perspective, but it, it takes a while to really understand what that all involves. And, um, and so we have a matrix that comes out of it. And because we have individual collective, interior, exterior, and the uh, developmental diagonals, we realize that anybody that's taking any perspectives, it's not just a vertical thing, and it's not a horizontal thing only, and it's not just a diagonal thing. We look at any human being as, it's like a balloon, and you, you know that a baby can't take the same perspectives that you can take, but they're a whole being. They're just a smaller balloon. And then as our perspectives grow, the balloon grows so that we have vertical, horizontal, and diagonal uh, experiences along the way. And our philosophy is that if you actually uh, 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 are very robust in these three areas, you will gradu you gradually grow your whole balloon. And, uh, and then you don't need to worry about trying to be vertical because vertical is supposed to be better. A vertical is not better in our model. Vertical is one extremely important facet of a perspective, but we have stages that are that, that work a little bit more with vert verticality and hierarchy. We have some stages that work very, very much horizontally and verticality doesn't mean anything. And all stages work with the, the, with the diagonals. So using those three questions, and we have another area that's, uh, that adds into that for scorers to use, uh, we, we really can get very close to uh, a person's perspective uh, uh, and, and our, our research validates that. So that's, I don't know if that, that sounds maybe a little bit sophisticated, but uh, I hope you understood. Mm. The well, I have a couple of yeah, questions. Um, like one, one is like, what, what are the three questions? Like, I'm super curious. I don't know, did you, did you name them already or is it? Yeah. One, what tier, what tier? Yeah. So let's say that somebody says, Oh, I, I'm going to go and jump in the swimming pool. Well, a swimming pool is a concrete object. So we'd score it in one of the four concrete stages. Uh, and then uh, uh, the second one is, do you prefer an individual approach? In other words, it's more about me and what I want, or do you prefer a, a, a collective approach? I'm really interested in what the group's work is of all about. And that's foregrounded and backgrounded because everybody has a collective and everybody has an individual. So we have to look at what's the preference for this, this person? Well, I'm jumping into the swimming pool 
is basically a, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, an individual perspective. They're not thinking about a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one, is it receptive? What is the learning approach? Is it receptive? Well, this person is jumping in a swimming pool. It's not receptive. Is it active? Seems like it. Is it reciprocal? No, it's not reciprocal. Is it interpenetrative? No, it's not. So what we have is that we have a concrete phenomena that's going on here with an individual, an individual focus and an active mode. Those are the three parameters of the perspective. And that is the 1.5 uh, perspective, which basically uh, is the perspective that um, uh, we call it the terrible twos, but it usually spans from about 18 months old till four or five years old. And anybody can want to want to jump in a swimming pool, but it's a wonderful that they can take a 1.5 healthy perspective and that we, we can measure those perspectives all the way up and down the scale. And the thing about it is, is that sometimes people only uh, uh, foreground four perspectives or so in their inventory when we score them. Some is, uh, uh, embody nine or more. And the wider the perspective capacity they have to take, the more adaptable they are. So we never say there's just one stage. We say, oh, look at the broad range of perspectives person is able to take they're uh, you know taking some meta-aware perspectives but they're still jumping in the swimming pool and having a really good time you know Mm. so they're likely to be able to relate to people many all the way along the way Mm. depending upon how many perspectives they can take and they aren't leaving any behind you know so yeah i like that i like the idea of like the balloon and and that um, it's not like just vertical development and that there's a more rounded out type of notion of development, it sounds like. Yes. And this model actually uses um, uh, some of the very same uh, uh, philosophy of Keegan, the had and had by is a very important part of our, Mm. our model. And of course, the Lovinger model, it's steeped in the Lovinger model because the test is a sentence completion test. And then some of the lectica processes we have too, because we have repeating patterns and that's what they have. So there's similarities in this stages model to all of, you know, to many of the other models as well. Mm. And the best of, or one of the really good aspects of, of those three models kind of come together. Maybe it's good to talk about, I think particularly our audience um, will be in this subtle or meta-aware stages, you know, yeah. and, and, and I'm imagining it's a bit like um, some of the other models where there are less numbers of people that I don't want, I don't know if I want to like say the higher you go up, I'm trying to get away from, yeah. but yeah, you know, the more mature you are, there's less and less, fewer and fewer people. That's um, right. So maybe we could articulate like what like the subtle is and, um, you know, maybe the variations in subtle and and also metaware and uh, some of the variations there. Yes. Well, we have four stages in this in the subtle tier and I'm sure you recognize them and I'll name uh, we give them numbers because 
Well, uh, numbers are kind of uh, a pure form. Colors, you know, will relate to emotion. So if you put the word green on a color or you, or you put the word mm -hmm. red on a color, it's going to give you a different emotional. So we didn't use colors and we don't use colors. If you put a label on it, which I'm going to give you in a few minutes, it also forms an image in people's minds about what this is all about. So, for instance, we've got four levels. The first one in the subtle tier. The first one is we call it 3.0. The second one is 3.5. The third one is 4.0. And the fourth one is 4.5. Now, a label that is commonly put on these 3.0 is often called the expert in the Lovinger lineage. 3.5 is often called the achiever. 4.0 is often called the pluralist or sometimes the individualist, but it's it's a postmodern view. And 4.5 is often called teal or the strategist. So you probably recognize, you know, those those differences mm -hmm. there. But we give them numbers because we add aspects to each of those stages that that is uh, different than what those most of those descriptions actually describe. So, and in the metaware tier, we have four more stages. The first one is 5.0, we call it construct aware. And Suzanne really did a lot of beautiful work with that. The second one we call transpersonal, and it is a 5.5 um, uh, level of development that that is an up, you know, a stage up from the construct aware. The 6.0 is, uh, is a stage that we kind of uh, uh, call uh, higher mind uh, or um, that is, is beyond, beyond this transpersonal stage. And the last one is the illumined stage, which is, uh, you know, the last one we have research on. There are very few people that have scored at this illumined stage, and we did a separate study on that on the metaware tier in our research uh, because we couldn't find another model that delineated four stages in those four you know Suzanne had two stages but we have found four and so we couldn't really accurately compare you know that tier with any other model that had had research done on it now so um uh there are fewer 6.5s, of course, mm. uh, and uh, uh, that's the, the latest that we have. We have more 6.0s, but we don't have a lot of those out there. We have more 5.5s, and then we have more 5.0s. Um, and just for your interest, 5.0 and 5.5 are individually oriented stages they're more about looking into themselves and it doesn't mean they don't have a collective but they're not fundamentally collective stages mm. 6.0 and 6.5 are collective stages and you can imagine i'm not going to go into this but you can imagine what a collective might be at a higher mind stage you know or at an illumined stage, what would a collective be? These are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves when something new comes up. Uh, how, how do I know what a collective would even be at that? And so we, we uh, uh, score using these parameters and we, then we look at all of the qualities of those, those um, responses that people make. And then we find patterns and that's how we discover what the collective is like.
that's how we discover what the individual is like. So uh, we do both qualitative and quantitative research to support this. Mm. And the other research we do is um, word research. And I know Lectica does this too. So we, we uh, take, you know, a million or two million words or however many words we had in all of the inventories we scored. And then we look at where they came up developmentally. And we'll find that usually they, they start coming up at one stage, they peak at another stage, and then sometimes they go down or they go flat across. So we know the most common stage that these words come up at. And we have to redo those every three or four years because things change, you know, vocabulary changes. So, <laughs> Like a wordle, you get a wordle for each developmental stage, you know, what are the words that show up the biggest on that wordle that are used the most commonly. <laughs> That's interesting. That's right. <laughs> um, I do get fascinated what the collective would be at the higher mind and illumined. illumined. Um, yes. Let's come back to that. But because... Yeah, so just this idea of subtle and even this word metaware, I think for a lot of people might be like, what What does that word mean? So maybe we could distinguish between what somebody at a subtle stage can take perspective on and someone at a metaware stage can, what that difference is. Well, you know, our the stages model actually works from the day a, a baby is born all the mm. way up through 6.5. And what we've discovered through the years is, uh, I, I'll just take the cognitive developmental process. Um, and of course, there's the emotional that goes along with it, all of the interiors. But children start, they don't think, they don't have a thought process until they hit 2.0, or that's the first collective stage. Because that is when they put together their visualizing and they're talking to themselves. And, and they, this is a concrete operational stage. Formal operations happens at the uh, conformist stage. And then you get into the first subtle tier stage, which is the expert, which I talked about a few minutes ago. They have abstract operations. So we have concrete operations, formal operations. And formal abstract. is what's happening at formal operations. It's like... Well, what concrete operations is about is that they can reason, but they have to have a manipulative to show them. And then they can figure it out by using, you know, something that they can hang on to. Formal operations means that they don't need those manipulatives anymore. They could do it in their head. They can they can visualize it and figure it out in their head. That's what formal operations nice. is. Abstract operations adds a whole new depth because it adds a depth that is deeper than formal operations. In other words, they start taking subtle objects into account. That's why we call it the subtle tier. Right. And the subtle objects would be like, what kind of mathematics do you need to have underneath a bridge? You know, the bridge that has the, you know, the cables. What kind of mathematics do you have to have underneath that in order to figure out how to keep the thing from falling down? Mm. Now, uh, that is not formal operations. They have to get into some very abstract thinking in order to look at, at those kinds of things. Now, that's an engineering thing. Architecture does the same thing. How many, what, you know, what is the, the depth of the boards that hold the roof up, you know, in, in order to, they have to calculate all that to make sure that the thing isn't going to fall down. Um, uh, that's 
and and of course that we see that in art as well. You know, uh, when you get into 3.5, uh, they start looking at a whole different kind of art. You know, uh, pictures don't ne necessarily look uh, exactly like the object necessarily. Right. No. Right. And uh, uh, so, you know, you can see how, how an artist music changes. If you notice the way that music changes, you know, for, through, the, through the developmental levels, everything anybody ever does will change according to these perspectives that come up. And so it's a very holistic kind of process. People that are interested in philosophy and psychology have the same thing going on. You know, uh, for instance, at the 3.5 stage, so we talked a little bit about the 3.0 stage, but at the 3.5 stage, let's look at the psychological aspect of things. You know, what they do is work with, uh, how is a person thinking about their thinking? How are they thinking about their feelings? How are they feeling and noticing when they change their feelings, their thinking and behavior changes? How do they notice, you know, when their behavior changes, their thinking and their feeling is changing? They are really getting into the metacognitive process there and that is a, a very common psychological approach that psychologists use to help people uh, get into their own, the depths of themselves because they put together thinking and feeling and behavior. Hmm. At 4.0, it's more of a collective process now. 3.0 and 3.5, the expert and the achiever, those are individuals. It's more finding out about me but when you get into 4.0, a collective process starts coming up. That's when we start recognizing that thinking, feeling, and behavior become parts inside of ourselves. So we have a part that tells us to do this thing and another part that tells us to do something else. Gestalt therapy, uh, a parts therapy. Uh, and, and this is, is you know, uh, the experience that they get, but it's collective. They have a whole family inside of themselves, you know, and then they look outside and see the same mirror thing going on in their own family. I was family. gonna say, yeah, maybe in a group of people, suddenly they can take, you know, they recognize it's happening collectively externally too. Right, right. Mm. And then of course the, the 4.5, the teal level can back off and look at, look at how the, the parts inside of the cells are actually a system. And then they recognize that the system on the outside is pretty much the same as, as their family system on the inside. They get really insightful about all of that. And that is a, a rare stage in and of itself. Teal is not, you know, is not a common stage yet uh, in the world. So presumably uh, someone at that stage is quite sophisticated in how they lead themselves and people you know, they can be in amongst a collection of people and, and, and empathize, take multiple perspectives, sophisticated yes. perspectives that enable, you know, different types of collaboration or possibilities to emerge. Yes. One of the things that this 4.5 strategist teal stage can do is that they, they have a reflector that, you know, every other stage has a reflector that, that arises so they can take a perspective on the 4.0 
experiences. So they can look at, and this is how they get such a systems capacity because they can stand back and look at it instead of swimming in it. So they stand back and they can look inside of their organization or an organization and all of the supply chains and all of that. And they can see where an error is in that system. They can go back into a particular part of a system and recreate an environment so that that system is healthy because they can pick out the, the anemic parts and the and the unhealthy parts. So they can reconfigure that and then they can go back out and watch it and see, did that work? Did that work? Uh, if it's not working very well, they can go in and they can tweak it a little bit here and there. And then they can back out and find out it seems to be working. Then they can step back in it and said, say to themselves, how does this feel to me? You know, it might on a systemic level look like it's good, but is it a, is it a, a, a feel good environment? Do people wanna live in this environment? You see that kind of thing can come up at Teal. It's a very sophisticated process because they're using the emotional, they're using the behavioral, and they're using the uh, cognitive uh, thinking all together as parts of the organization and the organization can be a whole, but the organization definitely have parts and those parts are gonna fight. And what are the things that you can do as you know about these systems to make the system itself healthy? So it's, I mean, it's quite a beautiful process these folks can take. We have, and I'm sure you know many, many people who can do this kind of, kind of work within, uh, you know, uh, systems work and and larger larger systems you know like mm -hmm. supply chains and all of that um, yeah beautiful because maybe you could tell us about the metaware then because yes. um, I've also got questions about the notion of development you know you've touched into this already but uh, like do we try to develop what's what's the protocols or the you know how can we be in a way that we grow is that even something yeah. we want to hold as a notion. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, well, maybe first we talk about metaware so we can round off that sense huh. of... Well, as we move from the concrete objects that we're looking at, the swimming pool, to the subtle objects that we're looking at, parts inside of ourselves, and a collect that's the collective, to the metaware tier, the metaware tier, uh, uh, I guess I'd have to back up because you have to prepare yourself for the metaware tier. And that preparation starts at this 4.0 stage where people suddenly start recognizing they have parts. They can't actually recognize they have parts until they are aware. Uh, 3.5 achievers are not ready to, they don't have awareness. They have thinking, thinking and metacognition. Awareness comes up at 4.0. And this is one of the shocks of, uh, of the transformation. It's a two parameter change, which is more than a one parameter. We have one parameter changes, two parameter changes and three parameter changes. And so it's a two parameter change to move from 3.5 achiever to 4.0 pluralist or postmodernist. So uh, they have to develop an awareness in order, to, they, they have to back off from this thinking feeling and uh, uh, behavior uh, metacognitive process and recognize that they are so intertwined you can't take them apart. You have to be able to back off in order to see that you're making assumptions 
rather than uh, interpretations. There's a difference. You have to back off in order to experience vulnerability in, in a relationship rather than a side-by-side -side parallel play kind of process that goes on in relationships at the achiever level. You have to have this awareness. So awareness is a very, it is the basis of the whole meta-aware tier. And so uh, at, at the 4.5 level, people can back off uh, and take a, uh, take a perspective on, in other words, they can start reflecting on, on all of the awarenesses that they've had. And this is how they know how to jump in and out of, of uh, you know, the perspectives of inside and outside the corporation or a family or what, whatever they, they're working with. But these, the recognition at 4.0 and 4.5 is also, we are socially constructed. We, we aren't really, we don't really have the capacity to develop ourselves because our parents taught us all these things. Our teachers taught us all these things. Our friends teach us. We're influenced by where we grew up. We're influenced by our, by our, uh, uh, our, our culture. You know, we're influenced by, you know, uh, sports. We're how did I have anything to do with this? We're socially constructed by all the rules that we follow. We're socially constructed by our religions. You know, we are, even dollars are socially constructed because they're just a piece of paper, but we all have an agreement that it's worth something. That's social construction of money. Where does social construction end? And they get really un understanding about that. And, and it becomes quite a big deal for them to understand the social construction of reality from the day they were born. Now, at the MetaWare, they start recognizing that there's more to it than social construction. So we go from these two collective stages, 4.0 and 4.5, pluralism and uh, uh, postmodernism, and then the teal state, which are collective stages. The first two stages in every new tier are individual stages. Suddenly they begin to realize that they have built a whole story about their life and they did it themselves. They did it individually. And they've made up the story of their whole lives. They, uh, maybe they felt that they were socially constructed, but they realized that all of that was a story that they told themselves, regardless of how they came to it. And so they recognized, you know, I'm making the story up about my life right now. That is a shocker, you know. So how am I going to be making up the story of my life? Well, wait a minute. I'm labeling everything. Uh, a word is just a, an individual construct. We have dictionaries that try to make a collective, but I'm making a completely different definition of this particular concept or word than Sally is. And this is why we, we you know, we're like two ships passing in the night here. You know, I think this word means this. She thinks this word means this. And we don't know it. And so, you know, we don't know that we're using different definitions and we just never agree. So they start asking a question of everybody that they talk to. What do you mean by that word? Because they know they can't communicate if they don't. <laughs> so that you can see you're going from the social construction of reality to the individual construction of reality. So that, that would be in the like kind of 5.0 phase yes. where they're, yeah, they're like, well, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? 
No. Um, and is this is this the territory where someone might also start to face into their own need to to like complete their map of the world? You know, like um, I need to understand. Um, they're seeing through the fallacy of that, perhaps. You know, like. I, I'm trying to like make sense of the make the ultimate map of the world by understanding everything, but it's actually impossible because the world that is not like that. You know, it, it can certainly be a part of it, but I think that would more or less go at the next developmental stage where you right. you become you. So here we have awareness coming up at 4.0. We have uh, have it. People reflect on it, and then they can do the system stuff at 4.5. 5.0, they're swimming. This is a three-parameter change because it's a tier shift, so it's a big one. They're swimming in this whole new reality. But So you go from metacognitive thinking to awareness thinking, and now you're swimming in, in the the experience, not the labeling. You can't figure out the labeling of it. You don't know what you're doing, but you're becoming aware that you're aware. And that right. is, that is uh, but you can't label it yet because you're just trying to experience it. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on with me. Some people think that they're ill when they jump into this stage. They're, they think they've done something wrong because there's so few people on the other side of that divide. Actually, they're doing something right because they're transforming. So uh, uh, this is this is the basis then of the rest of the tier. So we have this collective stage, this individual uh, stage where there's not really a watcher so much, but they're experiencing being aware that they're aware, and this is how they can figure out that their assumptions are actually a story, and and uh, you know that the words are are socially constructed, but they've got a definition outside of the dictionary, you know, and and all of this understanding that labels and categories really aren't 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 real they're made up and i'm making them up all the time you know i'm making things up and at the next stage we call it the transpersonal stage it's beyond the personal in a way they they start getting actual states that uh bring them to understand uh the label of I am consciously aware. I am aware of my awareness. I'm witnessing my awareness. These kinds of experiences come up and um, they start getting experiences of the boundlessness. They start getting experiences of time is not real. Who would think that time is socially constructed? We're so completely ensconced in it that nobody thinks that time isn't real. But they, they start questioning it at the transpersonal 5.5 stage. The other thing that happens is that they are looking at, at objects that are much broader and wider. And this can be the map of the world, you know, that we were talking about a minute ago. So uh, they can look at whole systems over here and whole systems over here and another whole system over here and they're drastically different systems and see that there's a part of this system they can move in here another part they can move in here another part they can move in here and they can create a whole new system from the multiple million parts in systems uh, around the world they can create something entirely new like a map of the of the world and they recognize there's many of these maps that can be made. And um, so it's a passionate, passionate stage. 
it's actually an upshift from the 1.5 stage, the swimming pool stage that I talked about, which upshifts into the 3.5 achiever stage because they they also have a visualization and a capacity to see, you know, into the future for the first time and what organizations can be about. And we all know achiever organizations, you know, and this is the upshift of that. So these are the repeating patterns that happen from tier to tier. So mm. this is, uh, you know, the transpersonal uh, stage, and there's way more to it than, than that. And of course, then we go into the collective stage, like what is a collective at 6.0? What is a collective at 6.5? Yeah. And I'm not going to try and talk about that here because it's, it's, I don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. I, I, we teach whole. whole I might press you on that later, but um, (laughs) like, yeah, because the, when you describe this transpersonal stage, it reminds me of like spiritual traditions where they talk about the empty nature of phenomena, you know, and that um, part of the path, and it can actually be quite a disturbing part of the path. I know it has been for me where the concrete like nature of reality (laughs) is superseded by a void like, or, you know, I don't know, this is where language becomes quite difficult, but you know, like the intangibility and emptiness of things is at the foreground and, well, we really um, call it insubstantiality. In other words, right. things come and go, but they're not really. Uh, I mean, a lot of people uh, have a different definition. See, I'm talking about definitions here, a different definition of emptiness. And that's different from being uh, insubstantial. In other words, it never lasts. And most of the things in our relative world come and go. They never last. The really salient thing about this stage is that they kind of recognize that, but uh, because they're so passionate about things and because they can see so much, they recognize they're making it up, but they also recognize that they can reify it and actually put that into the world so that something happens in the world. Uh, and um, we, I know quite a few people who have done that. I know some spiritual leaders who have done that with very spiritual traditions. They put pieces of all those spiritual traditions together and made their own, and they're quite profound. I know others who have done that with the psychological aspects. I know others that have done that with actual organizations that they built at this developmental level. The thing is, is that in the back of their mind, there's always... I can, I can make this real and they want to, but there's this nagging thing. Uh, I can do it, but should I, should Mm. I do it? What will happen? What are the consequences of me actually putting this into a reality on the ground that people are actually engaged in? There's a morality that comes up unless you're deeply, you have a deep shadow that does that gets in the way of that. And we have people who have that uh, deep shadow at, it's a transpersonal stage. So anyway, uh, they tend to create things that are uh, that that really show real promise, recognizing that we can't really see 50 years into the future. So how do we make sure that our 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 passion doesn't do harm? Well, it has to be able to have a philosophy behind it of, of do no harm and and it has to evolve and change with the way things go on, you see. So there's no final final project here at the, set, at the 5.5 stage mm-hmm. uh, because 
we know that when we're in time instead of in the timeless, which they're toying with, at the next stage, the time and the time, timeless and the boundless come together as, as one. Mm. So, Yeah, they sound like very agentic people in the sense that they, they're not attached, but they care a lot. So, yeah. you know, that you can uh, play around with manifestation in a sense, you know, oh. like there's a lot of freedom. It's like, oh, I can recreate, redesign something and then and then reify it. And um, so there's a lot of fluidity in these types of people. Maybe we need more of these types of people in politics and we do, leadership. We do, but we need to make sure that they take care of their shadow along the way because a shadow at this stage is devastating. It is, it is a terrible, terrible thing to have a mind that can do this kind of of thinking and have a, a very bad shadow underneath of it. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, we've run into a few people like that and, and it, 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 it's hard for them to change because they can run circles around everybody's mind. And, uh, you know, so we encourage people to do their deep shadow work starting, you know, at, in 3.0, 3.5, 4.0 is a really good time to do that. But 3.5 through 5, 4.5, is just really important times for people to, to work with their shadows. Um, and of course, as coaches, uh, it, it is really important uh, that they can sit across from their client and actually see their client and what stage are they at because you would work with them differently at every particular stage. And when you get into the real details of the stages organization, you can uh, or the stages model, you can say to them, they can say to themselves, I'm sitting in front of somebody here and they're saying these things. Well, they seem like they're doing kind of subtle. They're not meta aware yet. And they, they seem to go, have gone beyond the concrete. And in my conversation with them, I would put them at the subtle tier. And then they would uh, listen and they would uh, soon be able to tell, is this an individual or a collective process these people are going through well the first two stages of every tier are individual the last two stages of every tier are collective it's not too hard to tell the difference between somebody that is postmodern and somebody that is uh you know an achiever mm. <laughs> achiever it's it's you know it's really about my goal and where i want to get and i might get a team behind me to help me me, me reach my goal so it isn't that they don't work with teams and people but it's all about we're joining arms together to 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 reach this goal that i'm interested in uh and so uh uh, that is, that is uh, you know, the important thing to understand. And then we can look, check this out and look to see, okay, um, let me check this by looking to see, do they seem to be receiving information from people? Or are they just really looking for a mentor to help them out, experts? Or are they really uh, active in achieving something, achiever and transpersonal? Or are they in a in in, in a re reciprocity experience? Are they working on vulnerability? Are are they are they are they aware and and have the capacity to you know to uh, look at the goal? Look at the at the I would say the emerging or flowering of of, of, of a collective here where there's no hierarchy and everybody wants to just see the collective flower in and of itself uh, or are they you know more interpenetrative like the teal level so 
you it isn't long before you can start just seeing those three parameters and and it just comes together mm. right so the, so the coaches you know i know you train coaches in this way they're actually I'm getting that they're able to see that live in a conversation with someone as opposed to scoring them beforehand. And you can do both both because you know what? People come to their coaches because they've got something they need. Something isn't going right. If everything is perfect, they don't ask for coaching anymore, right? (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. Because I know I like getting – I think there's a a lot of truth in what you're saying. Yes. But there's also – I love working with people when I, there's no problem. It's like, but there's there's a sense of potential here. Yeah. So well, anyway, but that's yeah. an issue. But yeah. it's so we have three kinds of issues. We have a leading edge issue. That's somebody's transforming, and that's what you're talking about. Either you, the coach, are transforming, or your client is transforming, and that is a very exciting area to work with. Or it can be a core issue. The core issue is is the general stage that people are at. It's just that they maybe are anemic in one part of that, or they're very strong in one part of of that stage, but they can't transfer it over into all of the rest of their work. So the coach's job would be to help them point out how strong they are and help them learn to transfer it over into another area. Or it can be a trailing edge issue, something that that they they left out or are very anemic in, like you've got a business that is really trying to work at the pluralist level, and yet they they haven't figured out how to how to uh, do the finances. You know, that's a pretty basic thing, and they just haven't figured it out yet. And that happens quite a bit. You know, uh, so you'd work on on the trailing edge issue, and then of course there's a shadow issue, and you want your coaches to know the difference between a trailing edge issue. And a shadow issue, because a shadow issue is psychological. And there are some shadows that coaches can take care of, but some shadows you shouldn't because you can do harm if you try and take care of them because you don't have the skills a psychologist has. I mean, some people do because they are psychologists and coaches both. But many, many coaches really don't have the same skills that a psychologist has. Mm. And we have to recognize that psychologists are at different levels of development, too, and so are coaches. So they project their own stuff on other people, you know, and have to learn how to. That's one of the things we work with. Do not project your own stuff on your client. And we do it all the time, you know, because it's just a natural thing. But we teach people to separate their own stuff from their client's stuff. And how would you do, like? So there's so many threads I want to follow now, but just just this one. How, how you know? If you give us a little snippet, how do how would you recognize? How would you invite a coach to recognize when they're projecting their stuff on people? The first thing that they can do. Well, let's just just say they, they their client um, is um, uh, bringing up an issue, and the coach notices a reaction inside of themselves, and then they. So they start working on the client on that issue because they've got a reaction. What they aren't recognizing is they got a reaction because the client, uh, they are projecting their own issue on the client. Hmm. So there's something about the client they don't like or that that they're unsatisfied about or that rattles them. The first thing that they need to do is say, oh, I I feel like I've, responding to, I am, I am reacting to, I should say, I'm reacting to my client. 
What is it that I'm reacting to? Oh, there's this particular thing that is just really bugging me. Where can I find that in me? Oh, now I see I'm projecting. I'm projecting that on my client. I have to clear my windshield and work with this client without me projecting on them. Because otherwise, because if you don't, you're going to be you're going to be working with the client on your issue instead of the client on their issue. So, so in my you know in that moment you recognize I'm uh, something's gripped hold of me you know and I've got I've got a change agenda for my client which isn't you know often that, that's what I notice is like if I've got a change agenda for my client in some way yeah that's not good because that's more about me than them. That's of course, awesome. overall they're coming to me because they're they're there's something up for them and they want support but. You know, I can feel the difference between that when I, when there's something that got a hold of me and as opposed to when I'm in this kind of like coherent state, yes. almost like a flow. It's like a, it is a flow state where there's very little self-referential thinking or activity going on, you know, and there's just this cleanliness to it. And <laughs> Yes, you know. that's exactly right. And, and we know when we're in that flow, you know, and we, most of us, um, you know, uh, I would say that the 3.5 achiever uh, folks, uh, they, I mean, they are beautiful. They really are beautiful uh, coaches and, and people, but oftentimes they don't recognize their own reactions and they don't understand projections very well yet. And all the way up and down, we can still project on our clients, even when we're at 6.5 and 6.0 and 6.5. And 6. Yeah. That doesn't go away. We still have our own issues, you know, that we're dealing with all along the way. So... <laughs> well, then what about the um the ways that we might support people and i guess like i'm getting at this question here of like you know what what's the underlying notion here like for example i know when we checked in last week i shared when i first got into developmental stuff it's like i just had this like desire to develop myself you know and yeah. The older I've gotten, the, the more I've just like let go of that. Life's developing me, <laughs> and there are different ways I'm responding to my own development than that that urge. So I'm just curious about that, and just in a sense, like, are there are there like universal ways you invite your coaches to be with people? You know that that are relative, that are relevant for every stage, or is it? And I'm imagining inside of that, there is also, yeah, each stage is unique, you've said already. And yes. so you need to be attuned to that stage and know what they're looking for in a sense or how you can support them. So I'm, I'm, I'll give you that collection of questions there and see yeah. where you run with it. Well, what, what we want our, co our coaches to do and what we try to train them to do is to look at what is, what is a person's leading edge, what is their core stage, and what is their trailing edge, uh, and within that, uh, they look at what is the developmental level of the issue the person brings, because they can have a later developmental stage and their issue is earlier than their, than their stage. Uh, so they oftentimes they come with an issue of some kind. So we don't want, we teach our folks to, to notice what is the different kind of what is the, the issue and what is the developmental level of the issue? If the issue is a leading edge issue, we help them with that transformation because they're ready for it. 
but we don't do that if it's a core issue or if it's a trailing edge issue, you know, because they have anemic areas or areas of robustness that haven't developed yet. Once those areas of robustness develop, they automatically go into a, a, a leading edge. And, and that's just a very simple concept. Heal yourself, build your balloon up. We don't want a tall, skinny balloon that's only about vertical development because they fall over. We don't want a horizontal one because then they never grow up. We want to make sure that the whole thing is robust and, and healthy. And we don't have to worry about the balloon expanding that way because it just does on their own. And sometimes people mix up in their own mind a transformation. This is one of the confusions. I teach a whole course on confusions at these developmental stages. But one of the confusions that people have is that they're in a transformational stage and they think something is wrong with them. They think they've got to go uh, chasing after a shadow or they think that they have, you know, some area that is, is that needs fixing when actually they're doing something right. And they, the coach can tell them the difference Good. Could that. you give us an, ex an example of that? And also, I'd love to get, uh, you said about the healing. There's a few things I'll, I'll ask you about. But first, this one, like, um, could you give an example of like a confusion someone might have? They think they need to do something else, but actually it's a sign of transformation. Well, let's, let's do the transformation between the uh, 4.5 teal stage and the construct aware, meta aware stage because that's a three parameter change. When people start going into this, they're, they're robust, they've got a pretty good uh, uh, healthy developmental process. Suddenly they start getting these, these awareness of awareness states uh, and it, it's confusing to them. They don't know what, what actually to do and they, they often think that there is something wrong with them. So what do they do? They, they, they look at what are, the, what are the objective things about my reality that might be wrong? Oh, well, you know, I'm not satisfied with my job. So they, they, they go and they find another job. Or they might say, I really need to live in another country. So they, they move themselves or their whole family uh, over to another country. Uh, or uh, they might say, it's my relationship with my spouse. I got it. I got to get a divorce. Those three things they do over and over again. Nothing is wrong with the outside. It's that they've got this confusion on the inside that something out there is, is, is wrong. They're confused about it. They can't figure it out. They know that they're in a fuzzy state. They, so they look for the exterior. And we find people that do all three of those things. They change their job. They change their relationship. And they move. Uh, and then they're so sorry afterwards because they've realized once they get into the stage that their job was perfectly good. Their relationship was perfectly good and they had a beautiful home and they might've lost all three of them. We really work hard on saying, don't change your job. Don't change your relationship and don't move until you're solid in this, in this stage because you may regret it terribly. And the other thing that happens so often in that change is that, that, uh, that you know, they, they, it's so big that they just wanna, they wanna quit their job and just so, settle into, you know, this developing this process in themselves, but then, and they, they have a years of, uh, of savings. 
this, this stage often takes five years. They don't have enough. So they end up washing dishes <laughs> and, and, and looking at all kinds of other, putting a bunch of different kinds of jobs together so that they can have enough money to live. And then they don't have the time that they want to do this developmental work. So we really spend time on that particular upshift because it is such a big upshift and there's not enough people on the other side of that divide right. for them to develop a collective with and understand that with. So I connect a lot of people who are going through this with other people that I know so that they do have a talking partner. And I explain all this to them. You normalize this to yeah. them, let them know what's happening to them and they get it. They don't care so much about taking care of these exterior things they want to blame onto their confusion. What a coach can do, they can normalize it, help them stay stable, help them keep a, a, a good income coming in, and then they can develop time and create time within that to do the growth and development that they want to do. And the coach can help them with, with that through time. And so this is an enduring work that you can do with somebody because once they're in the construct aware stage, the 5.0 stage, they might have a, uh, uh, you know, a, a core issue in that stage and you can help them with that. They might have a trailing edge stage, you can help them with that. And then they might, you can heal that for them and then they will, can go into, uh, you know, the, the leading edge and you can help them with their next transformation. So this is how you can move along with the client over a period of transformations and years. If you're a coach that understands all of these stages, you can yeah. stay with a client for a long time. The, the main thing here is that, that you need to be able to uh, work at all these developmental stages. If you're Sometimes people get uh, clients that are at a later developmental level than they are, and they try and use an earlier stage process on a later developmental level, and that does harm oftentimes. Mm -hmm. So it's good for you to know your own developmental level and what you're what you can be really good at. Uh, uh, and we find that people can, can somewhat get a stage later than what they're at, but two or three stages beyond where they're at, it's really not very successful. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And just staying with that example of someone transitioning from the 4.5 to the 5 construct where what what and, and I guess it's very difficult because we're talking in, in an abstract sense here we're not talking about someone specific but what what ways might a coach you train support that person to stabilize that 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 stage of maturity you know are there, are there certain practices they might invite that client into or might what kind of conversations might they have with that client well, uh, they can they can introduce them into the very first parts of this construct aware stage. Uh, so at four point five, uh, a four point five strategist teal coach understands projection, but they don't usually get their projections until they reflect on them. In other words, they'll go out there, they'll project on somebody, they'll go and sit down and 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 think about their day, and all of a sudden realize that they have projected on somebody. Um, but if you are a coach that, that knows about projections and you, uh, you realize that, that, uh, you get, you at 5.0, uh, people start getting their, understanding their projections in the moment. 
They don't have to reflect on them anymore, but it takes practice sometimes to get it closer and closer to themselves. So there's little tricks that you can give them like uh, the minute they feel a reaction to say to themselves, and that's me. So that in the moment, uh, and it changes everything. I recognize I'm projecting that quality and that's me, but that doesn't also doesn't mean the other person doesn't have it too just because you react to it. So you, your conversation starts changing. Your conversation with your spouse or with your coworker or whatever can start changing. And, and oftentimes the, the, the conversation goes like this. Oh, I can see that, that I'm, I'm reacting to this part of you, this, this aspect of you. I see I have that in myself. Maybe we can work on this together. I mean, I... You know, and once you start admitting to somebody that you have uh, something, uh, you know, a, a reaction or, or a, 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 you know, a projection, uh, they're much more apt to want to work with you than work at odds with you because you aren't saying that you're better than them with your criticism. You're saying, I've got it too, you know, <laughs> what mm. can we do here? That can be a very good simple little process that you can move people into uh, at that early, early 5.0 stage. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's clear. Yeah, that's helpful. And I guess now I start thinking about possi the possibility that coaching as you move up the stages becomes more and more intimate and based yeah. in phenomenology, you know, that like yeah. I'm thinking of even like collective spaces that I've been in where people are are like in the moment exploring their 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 connection with another person and transforming together you know that you're actually you know you're 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 in touch with these projections and assumptions and even in your sense of identity as it's as it's emerging in the moment and it's being transformed and i find that an incredibly uh, meaningful place to be anyway and I don't know if that would be at that stage maybe maybe a little bit higher up but no I think that it depends upon the level of development of the person you're working with let's say that you're in that 5.0 stage where you can see your projections in the moment and you say this to somebody else let's say they're at 4.5 and they don't get it until they reflect on it can you see how you'd have to at 5.0 actually uh, give them a little time to do the reflection? Right. Or you might have a 4.0 spouse, uh, you know, who uh, is uh, uh, not able to really do the reflection yet, but they know when people project on them, they just don't know when they're projecting, but they can recognize their own problematic areas in themselves. <laughs> You I see, see like thousands mean? of people nodding to this now, <laughs> going, that's yeah. my partner. <laughs> I'm not, that's right. you know, like, yeah. they don't know when they're projecting on me, but I know when I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, generally a 4.0 yeah. uh, postmodern pluralist. And so many, um, sometimes, that, sometimes that stage is dubbed as green and the terrible green. Actually, that is an absolutely critical stage. If we don't have that stage, that's where awareness arises. And that's the basis of the whole rest of the of, of our developmental stages. We have to give people time to move through that stage. And every single stage has a, a, a struggle in some area and, and a, a, a gift in another area. And mm. it's just got a different struggle and gift from every other stage. But every every stage has that. I love that stage. And, and sometimes we project on that stage because... 
you know, it's got some things that give us reactions. Where is that in me? Mm. And that's something for us to look at. Green is a great stage. There's a lot of that going, I think, in the integral community, you know, of like um, reactivity towards the green. And, you know, I, I think, you know, like Ken's written a books about the mean green meme and yes. some, you know, beautiful um, critiques of it, important, but at the same time, yeah, my sense was there was always a lot of uh, judgment towards it as well. You have to look at the benefits of the stage and, uh, you know, it's easy to look at the places where where they they just can't see what they can't see, like every single stage can't see what they can't see yet. But the gifts they bring are so incredible. You know, mm. the gift of awareness is really an, an extraordinary gift. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. One is about the shadow, because you've mentioned that a few times. But maybe first, you know, I remember coming back to this idea of perspectives, you know, like particularly like I think people might be, you know, first, second, third perspective, people might, you know, relate to that, but fourth and fifth and I don't know if there's a sixth, but yes, what, what, yeah, what, what are those perspectives, basically? Well, uh, you know, a first-person perspective is, the, is uh, um, uh, it's about me. And the second-person perspective is, it's about we. And the third-person perspective is the capacity to take to reflect on the we. Uh, we have the individual two stages in our individual stages at the beginning of each tier uh, those are the it's about me stages those are first person perspectives then we have two collective stages at the end of each tier those are about we perspectives and then we have uh, the mature parts of every state every perspective which are the point five stages this might confuse people a little bit but they all can reflect the early part of a state of a perspective, we have two stages in each perspective. The first part of the of the first person perspective is the baby that just receives things and they're just experiencing. The second part is, you know, we often call it the terrible twos and they are active, you know, and and uh, 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 being, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to develop the, the uh, visual and auditory memory that that they put together for thinking. Um, then you have the two collective stages. Those are, are reciprocal stages. But the, the, the 2.0 stage is a stage of experience, again, a collective experience. The 2.5 stage is a reflective stage. So every other stage, all the 0.0 stages are experiential stages where they don't really do a lot of, ex, ex, uh, of reflecting. They just do a lot of just swimming in the new experience. That's so important. The 0.05 stages are reflective stages. And those reflective stages stand back and look at what their experience is about. And so the first person perspective includes uh, both an experience stage and a reflective stage. The second person perspective does the same thing. A third person perspective, though, is a little bit difficult to understand because they are also first person subtle. We have first person concrete. Then we have first person subtle, 3.0 and 3.5. Then we have first person metaware, 5.0 and 5.5. So the, we call 
the id a third person perspective, but really that name was given because the, that that was what people were understanding when they first moved into 3.0 and 3.5, where there wasn't a 4.0 pluralist yet, and there wasn't a 4.5 pluralist. They didn't see the pattern. So they saw people were taking first person. They looked back, they saw people were taking second person, and they knew that they were beyond that. So they said, we've got third person. Mm-hmm. But what we really have here is first person concrete, first person subtle, first person metaware, two stages in the first person. Then we have second person collective concrete, second person subtle, second person metaware. The third person is simply the reflecting part of the collective. Mm, gotcha. Okay. That's actually, that's, I'm glad I asked that question. Uh, it just dropped in right at the end. Yeah. So I, so I, yeah, that's useful. So there's yeah. kind of an update there of people's thinking. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, whenever a new stage comes up, they see what's come before them, but they don't see what they're in themselves. And so they can label things that they think they are. But a later stage is going to come back and look and say that label really doesn't describe it very well, you know. So that's what we run into. Like right now, I would say that the leading I mean, the, the, the very edge of what we're working with now, the very, very edge that we have scoring on is 6.5. But we also know there's a whole unified tier after that uh, with four stages. We don't have any data on it yet. Uh, but we know from the upshifts that, uh, and from some of the people that we know that they they are beyond the 6.5 stage. We just don't have enough to do any research yet. But we've got individual instances that just shows they're not any one of the previous stages, so they must be up there someplace. So, um, so uh, you know, that's something we always have to recognize is that the stage we're in, we aren't necessarily labeling correctly because we're labeling from what we see in the past and we can't see ourselves in our own we can't see our own ego you might say mm, right yeah that yeah and what do you think about um you know this idea of like descending because you know uh some so this you can often get this idea of ascending and uh mm-hmm. that we're ascending into greater levels of complexity and you know, I've heard people speak both now about, for example, Spring Cheng. I don't know if you know her work, but like this this notion of like of Taoist descending, you know, and that, for example, uh, the if you think about tribes in a jungle, you know, who might be labeled as being um, at lower stages in these um, Western models in terms of complexity of thinking, but actually they're the level of their complexity to read the system of the jungle and to navigate is off the charts, you know? And so there are like maybe different vectors of development that we might want to acknowledge that have a descending tangent to them. And I've heard other people talk about, you know, this idea of um, soul as well as being, you know, an in, an important or, or genius or you know unique essence as being um, a very important transformational force and, and vector of development again that has a different flavor to it. And I'm just wondering. I, I very briefly touched into what they are. There's again, you know, that idea of like what do we mean by those words and 
But I wonder what you would say, you know, in response as to what I'm saying. Like maybe they, maybe both those things fit into what you're talking about in some way or, or not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think in some ways we're talking about generational uh, processes here. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, the uh, early uh, level of, of adults who, uh, you know, like can read the seas and, and, and uh, the stars and, and use those to guide themselves, you know, to a, a, an island that's 100 miles away. Uh, there probably aren't too many people that can do that now. Uh, but, you know, they do that all the time because they have developed technologies that replace those folks have have learned, uh, and so we're doing. Uh, you know, we're doing exactly the same thing in so many ways as as those uh, as the technologies that that were developed by the sensory capacities, the refined sensory capacities. Instead, we use microscopes, we use telescopes, we use, you know, the internet and all of that stuff now. Um, and, uh, and so we can still do those same things. We just can't do it the way that it was done before. We probably could if that was the only technology we had and if we were taught it. But mm. uh, so that's one way of looking at how generational change, come, change comes along. And that's another thing that we can, can uh, report is that what we understand is that, that I grew up in the little house on the prairie time. My context was no TV, no, no phone, no indoor bathroom, no running water in the house. How many people in the United States or in your country grow up like that? Not very many. They, they would probably really have a difficult time doing that. That's very real to me because I've had that experience. Uh, so a person today that would be at my stage would, and there are many people who are at, at the, the, you know, whatever stage I'm at, uh, their experience is growing up with a cell phone in their hand, you see. Right. And so their context is entirely different, but their parameters are the same. Their perspective parameters are the same. They still mm -hmm. have concrete, or, uh, subtle, or meta-aware. They still have, uh, you know, individual collective, and they still have these learning processes. So what we find is that uh, a research that does a, a descriptive research first, that research has to continually reevaluate the contextual part because they're comparing categories mm -hmm. that, that aren't available anymore, you know. Um, with the stages model, those three parameters will work no matter what generation you're in. And uh, I'm teaching a course right now, and we're just in the thick of looking at what these different generations, people, you know, all generations in this course and of all developmental levels, you know, and it is just amazing, you know, what they're discovering about the different generational aspects of all of this. Now that doesn't have much to do with descent though, right? Mm. Mm. So, you know, that is, is showing how we transcend and include and the technology comes on board and it transcends and includes it. And then our, our political uh, countries transcend and include from autocracies to democracies, you know, and et cetera. So we have this transcend and include process, but then there's, there's the descending flows that go with that. My sense of the descending processes are that I mean, if people just think about or engage in 
just plain old reasoning, even if you haven't gotten into the meta or anything, you know, things had to come from somewhere. We are a cause and effect species. We are a species that particularizes and we use science until we see that science is also a made up process. <laughs> and this question is a question that has not been answered yet. The question is, where did we come from and who am I really? Uh, and so, you know, they'll go to, you know, uh, you know, out beyond the stars and they'll go into the depths of, uh, you know, ourselves where we find nothing but space and out there we find nothing but space in, in space. And, and, and then we go back in history as far as we can find. And the, the only explanation they have is that there's a big bang. But where did that big bang come from? This is the question we ask. Uh, where did it come from? There's had to be something that made that mm. bang. That big what do you bang. Think? <laughs> well, uh, that's the descending process because mm. we we uh, learn to expand in this relative world until we get into the subtle and meta-aware tier and we start working with awareness and we start seeing this timeless boundless process. This timeless boundless process is a discovery, but it isn't new. It's always been there. And we wreck it when we, in, it, when we encounter it, we know that it's always been there. We just couldn't see it. And so we're recognizing as our balloon is growing up, we're starting to see awareness, awareness itself, the timeless boundless you know, inseparable pair, all of these things that, that come up uh, eventually. And, and looking at the difference between non-conceptual, um, uh, non-conceptuality and this timeless boundless, which seems to be somewhat different. Um, and, um, and you start having these experiences that it was always there that descends down through all of the relative processes. It saturates everything, whether it was, and, and so, you know, uh, there is a descending process with all of that. What, in our humanness, we can't really touch into that very, you know, we can't um, reason our way in and out of that. Our no. thinking mind cannot do it. Right, right. And it's insufficient. We, it, yeah, we and yet we have experiences of it, so we know it's there, you know. And uh, so, you know, when people start getting into the metaware tier, they can't really get into the later stages until they start accessing some of these states that that tells them they get the experience of this. This is something that is, you know, beyond reasoning. It's beyond the story we tell of the world. In other words, the Big Bang and how it rippled out into where we are today. It's beyond that. And so to me, the descending always happens because it's always there, but we don't know it. We start knowing it when we get to these experiences that are ineffable and that, that uh, we have no cause for no effect for just a little simple thing that i that that is meaningful to me is that science has a cause and effect and research to the point zero zero 
confidence level for just about everything, but they still don't know what causes the fetus's heart to start beating. Now, mm. what starts that heart? That's a question we can ask ourselves. You know, they can get to all of the all of the diddly things around it, but that spark that really starts that beating, what what is that? What what could do that? Nothing we know so far. I mean, maybe they will discover it eventually, but all of the research capacities they have, you would think that'd be one of the first things they could find the answer to. And it's been a mystery. We have these mysteries. We don't know where they, there is no cause for them. They just are. To me, that describes the descending path. As we get to certain places, we can see that this, whatever this is, whatever label people want to put on it seems to be there that, uh, that there's no cause of it or effect of it. It is simply there and it is saturated. It saturates us everything and is a part of us. And we are in our ignorance, just not able to see it yet. Has me sort of sense into this possibility of, uh, you know, you know, like, again, I think of maybe like Buddhist notions, but this idea of, um, form and emptiness, you know, and the actually through inquiry, through practice, you can, uh, you can start to, you know, and I think it's, this is like artists do this as well, but it's like, you can start to, something comes from nothing, you know, like there's a way in which something emerges into existence that wasn't there before. And perhaps we're, we're all experiencing this all the time anyway, you know, we just don't know it, but, um, but I think it's, it's a, it's a kind of sensitivity that one can, can cultivate. Like for example, with a client and we're inquiring together, you know, that's the, like the, the sense of revelation that can occur. It's like, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's fascinating where that comes from, you know, and like, who's making that happen. It's like, it's not, it's not like you're sitting there, making a thought emerge you know or an insight or a discernment it's it's like when you held when you hold the relationship or experience in certain conditions they seem to be more conducive for for something to emerge into being and then to begin to reify into the the structure of that person you know um but like i imagine that you could like I'm, imagine, I'm imagining you could refine that capacity, you know, like to an extraordinary level where you might, yeah, you might be able to attune to like these currents of, you know, this perfume, this scent of descent or, or manifestation. And that might be a very disturbing experience, but it might also be an incredibly, you know, what would be the word majestic experience as well? Yes, I think that especially as people um, get a bigger perspective, they become more and more sensitive to to that kind of thing. Uh, you know, some people call them downloads, some people call them intuitions, uh, and they can be collective and they can be individual. And uh, uh, so, I think a sense sensitivity uh, uh, grows up 
through the stages, you become your senses themselves become more sensitive and more uh, have the capacity to sense into the more of the ineffable. But notice that they are always discovering something that is uh, insubstantial. Whatever you discover, it's coming into being, and then it changes, and then it goes. And we have to, in my view, we have to be able to discern the difference between that kind of a relative experience, which is because of the very sensitive processes that can happen in our senses themselves, Uh, we have to be able to discern the difference between that majestic, they are truly majestic experiences and um, sometimes frightening, but a lot of times are, uh, are you just filled with absolute wonder as to how, and you know, you didn't create it, you know, it just came out of someplace. Um, I think that's happened to, you know, that happens to people and the more sensitive you are, the more that seems to happen, I find. Um, but, um, to me, you can't, um, confuse that with this bigger process that is, uh, that I'm talking about that awareness grows into. Mm, Wonderful. As you're still, as if it's coming and going, it's still relative reality. And what is that that is always there, that is always changeless, it is absolutely timeless, it's absolutely still? That's one of the confusions that people get sometimes is they have these ineffable experiences. But if you just look at whether they're substantial or not, in other words, are they coming and going? You know, are they changing? This other thing, whatever you want to, however you want to define it, you cannot, you can see, you can experience that it has no, no edges, no beginning, no end. You can see that it is timeless. You can see that it's not changing. It's, and, and you, you know in your very being and you experience that it is, it has always been there. Whereas something that drops into me has not always been there. It wasn't there until it dropped into me, no matter how beautiful that experience is. So there's a, a confusion here, one of these later level confusions that come up all the time, uh, you know, in some of these metaware stages. And for those people whose um, whose passion is around spirituality, they can they can study that spirituality so deeply that they can get these experiences uh, of all of the spiritual stages when they're you know at teal or whether they're at uh, 4.0 or 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 the postmodern they can get it at 3.5 anytime after the uh you know even in the conformist stage they can get some aspects of that so you know it depends upon where people put their experiences Uh, and that is one of the areas that i'm doing in my research right now is um what's required for to you know to make us what states are required in order for a stage to develop that's a because I just thought of like you know Wilbur the Wilbur Coombs state stages matrix, or, but that would be fascinating to me, you know. Because yeah, like I would imagine if somebody was doing some kind of you know um, either formless meditative practice, you know, that stabilized that that sense of. Um, you know, of of the formless as as a as a tangible experience, then that that would 
have a impact on their yes. sense of identity as a, as as well if they were you know say if they were doing emptiness type practices like empty, emptiness of time for example you know it's yeah, one of the practices of I did it's a big one <laughs> emptiness of self exactly exactly yeah, yeah. one of the main one of the main well, one in priority so yeah yeah that stuff surely has to have a developmental impact well it it might it's just that if let's say that you get to this place that some people call enlightenment uh uh and you get it at the 3.5 level uh i have to ask the question is what would be the purpose of developing your balloon then mm-hmm. and so you might be enlightened at the 3.5 achiever level but maybe you still have, uh, you know, you still can't find parts inside of yourself. You still can't uh, see mm. construct aware objects. There's a question I have about, we know that the leading edge always has an enlightenment process. In other words, the latest stages can, can get, get that enlightenment process, but development chugs on too. And so I, my my view of in, enlightenment is that that it grows up with us. Mm. Not mm. and and you may not get the whole enlightenment experience at the conformist stage now because six point five is the you know is mm. the the latest developmental ones that we've worked with. Um, so um, uh, you know at one point. That was the latest stage. It isn't now. So my my sense is, is that enlightenment or um, I, I don't like to use that word, but whatever this final process is, is, uh, is something that includes all of the development that has happened up to now, up to the now of time. And the timeless and the now, the relative uh, time, come together at whatever those two things are. And that I think that uh, that this beautiful process uh, of understanding, you know, this ineffable, this um, beautiful knowledge that comes about, uh, grows up with the stages. And my research has shown that um, you have to have certain states to even get into these uh, developmental levels. Like you you really can't get into the 4.0 pluralist until you have a capacity to to be aware. Mm -hmm. It just, it, I mean, assumptions don't come up. Parts don't come up. Nothing comes up that is beyond that. Um, so, uh, and I want to say that, you know, I haven't studied all the religions, but I've studied a lot of them. And, and a lot of people refer to the Eastern religions, but, you know, uh, the insubstantiality uh, uh, process that so many of the religions and, you know, speak about in, in Christianity, it's called perishable and imperishable. It's right there. People don't will read it and they don't think about it because they've memorized, you know, these texts mm-hmm. and everything. It's right there in Christianity, too. These fundamental, you know, they have a a floral scent that is a little different. But 
like the parameters, we say there's three parameters to a perspective and you can have all the context around it and, and it'll look really different, but when you get right down to it, those three parameters are gonna be there no matter what context you're in. It's kind of the same with there are basic aspects to uh, understanding that which has no beginning and end and has is timeless and all of the aspects that we have to to all of that that is present uh i think in most of these uh fundamental traditions um and um i just i just think that the the contextual floral aspects uh of that tradition masks those things but if you get into the text if you can find out what are the three or four aspects that you, it's required for for understanding this thing from which descent happens mm. um you'll probably find them buried in those texts someplace and we just gloss over them because we don't know what those parameters are to that mm. and i'm finding i'm finding a lot of that in different different traditions though i haven't studied all of them uh, the ones that i have they pop out to me now because I'm more familiar with them when I wasn't when I was 12 or 30, <laughs> mm. much, much older. <laughs> well, we, we have to, yeah, this has uh, been a, such a rich conversation for me. And um, I want to ask, we have to bring it to a close now. And um, I'm just curious where we can find out more about your work. And I just want to say, first of all, uh, just give you some props, some appreciation for the connoisseurship i don't know what the word is but like you know the you're a connoisseur of this territory for me and really you know bringing some of these new nuanced subtle metaware distinctions you know it's it's really really beautiful so thank you yeah. well i i appreciate uh, anybody not every i mean every model that is out there fits people and um uh, and i deeply appreciate all of the models because we need lots of different ways to look at things and some models will will resonate with some people and not with others so i'm just always so grateful when the stages model is resonant because we hope that it will do good in the world of course um, we're in the process now of putting up a new website with a few new courses and and then many of the old courses that have been developed even more. One of them would be a coaching course um, that works with development. And uh, my brother, Kim Barda, uh, is a psychotherapist and uh, he uh, he has started his own website uh, because Stages International just isn't big enough to hold all of his stuff. He has a, a body of work that's as large as the ones that we're working with. So he started his own, but he is the one that can take you into the deeper psychological uh, uh, processes uh, beyond regular developmental uh, 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 coaching work. And so um, uh, for people that really have shadow crashes and things like that, uh, he will do. He has a process that he works on. that's very similar to the one we're working with in stages. So, if you want to know anything about what we're doing, and our new website should be up within the next couple of weeks or so, uh, uh, you can uh, just write to support at stagesinternational.com, and we can get back to you. Uh, we, we're uh, looking forward to our new uh, transformation. Uh, 
And uh, I know that transformations happen in organizations too. We have to look at at the leading edge, the core stage and the trailing edge of our organizations, the same way we do with our coaching clients. So um, yeah, most, most of us go through these different experiences through whatever form we're in. So, so uh, Joel, I wanna thank you so much. I, this has been a delight to be with you today. I appreciate uh, the time that you've taken. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Terry. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm-hmm.